This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by Bella Catering. Bellacatering.com.au, one of the best catering companies in Sydney, but in the time of COVID, in this garbage, fire, doom scrolling, the world is ending as we know it. Year of 2020 has meant that this terrific and awesome family catering company led by Glenna Maria, who I love and adore, um, has pivoted to home delivery. So if you want while you're in New South Wales, while you're in the Sydney area, if you want great home cooked feeling, delicious catering to your home, Bella Catering is where you got to go. They're absolutely amazing. They have a variety of cuisines. They're incredible. Bellacatering.com.au is where you can dial them up, find them, order something. Hell order before the second wave gets here. And order seconds for the second wave. They're the best. Thank you for listening. We have a banger of a week for you. Now, onto the show. Some guy decided to drive to Kenosha with his militia buddies to protect a business and apparently ended up shooting three people and killing two. But don't worry, the business is okay. And let me tell you something. No one drives into a city with guns because they love someone else's business that much. That's some bullshit. No one has ever thought, oh, it's my solemn duty to pick up a rifle and protect that TJ Maxx. They do it because they're hoping to shoot someone. That's the only reason people like him joined these gangs in the first place. And yes, I said it, a gang. Enough with this militia bullshit. This isn't the Battle of Yorktown. It's a bunch of dudes threatening people with guns. And while what happened with those shootings last night is tragic, what happened afterwards is illuminating. Because it made me wonder, it really made me wonder why some people get shot seven times in the back while other people are treated like human beings and reasoned with and taken into custody with no bullets in their bodies. How come Jacob Blake was seen as a deadly threat for a theoretical gun that he might have and might try to commit a crime with, but this gunman who was armed and had already shot people who had shown that he is a threat was arrested the next day, given full due process of the law and generally treated like a human being whose life matters? How did Dylan Roof shoot up a church, James Holmes shoot up a movie theater and both live to tell about it? Why is it that the police decide that some threats must be extinguished immediately while other threats get the privilege of being diffused? I'm asking these as questions, but I feel like we know the answer. The answer is that the gun doesn't matter as much as who is holding the gun. Because to some people, black skin is the most threatening weapon of all. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. It is now the 87th minute of Alan J. Pakula and Robert Redford's 1976 masterpiece, All the President's Men. And I've got a great guest for you. And uh, before I knew that this guest was a freelance writer around a bunch of places like Birth Movies Death and Real Honey and the Globe and Mail, uh, and a senior contributor at the Film School Rejects. I just thoroughly enjoyed her Twitter. It is such a joy. It is, it is, it is just full of exactly the kind of nonsense that I'm about. And 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 so I, as a host of this show, 
not only am I on the lookout for people who I know are going to be either tremendous journalistic contributors specifically or great film minds that I already know of, but I'm always on the lookout for folk who I haven't had a chance to talk to, but that I sort of admire from afar or bring me internet joy. That is this person. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my distinct pleasure to welcome Anna Swanson to all the President's Minutes. Anna, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> you just, your brand of nonsense is my brand of nonsense and I enjoy it. I enjoy it very much. Um, thank I, mean, I, I do think we're both, sorry, I interrupt you. No, no, you I, know, I was going to say, I, I think we're just both like, we have those obsessive tendencies where when we love a movie, we love it with our whole soul. So yes, I, I very I, much respect yeah, there is a there is a kinship and in a in a mutual obsession. The greatest compliment I ever received was, I you know I, I compliment your obsessions, and I was like, yes, that's a, that's a very nice thing to say. So I appreciate that. So here we are. It's not this. This wasn't a movie that was. Um, this wasn't a movie that you had been super familiar with before I asked you to do the show, but I hadn't uh, even seen it. Hadn't seen it, but I did love, I said to Anna, I sort of said, look, I'd love to have you on the show. If you can get a chance to watch it, like brand spanking new eyes on this thing is always something that's really fascinating for me in the middle of like a project where people are usually obsessed with the movie. So I was excited to talk to her anyway. And then I just received, it was like, it was like Redford putting a red flag in his post in his pot. I just received the meme of Al Pacino from what's upon in what's upon a time in Hollywood as Marvin Schwartz um, come into my inbox that just said, what a picture. And I was like, yes, she's put the bat signal up. She's ready to go. So first time watcher really enjoyed the film. I'm excited to hear you. Uh, uh, what, what you thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it was one of those films that like I'd always kind of heard was like great. And obviously everyone I know loves it because it's a great movie and people sort of very specifically saying to me, like, you will like it. Cause mostly just because I think Zodiac is one of the greatest films of all time. Yes. And they're like, well, how, how have you not seen all the president's men? And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. Um, so it's definitely been on the watch list for a while. I think it just felt very like monumental Yes. Where I'm just like, I want, like, this doesn't feel like a movie that I'm just like, oh, I, I'm going to, you know, put this on because I just want something on. Like, I want to be in the right headspace. I want to be in the right mood. I want to feel like I'm committing to something. Um, and I think you just gave me a really good incentive to finally get to it. But yeah, I mean, it lived up to the hype, which I think is probably the biggest compliment you can give for a movie like All the President's Men, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, because yeah. it's so, it's, it's so like you just said, it's, it's kind of like omnipresent. It's out there. It's like, it's, it's mm-hmm. one of those genre. If it's, if it's a blind spot in the genre, you feel it. Um, you don't get to sneak up on it. That's the other thing that some people don't get. It's like, you're like, Oh no, I didn't get to see that. That's, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there's a guilt that's immediately there. Like I um, had a recent sneak up viewing of a great Sydney Lumet movie called night falls on Manhattan. It was one of the nineties ones. Like, mm-hmm. so it's not, it's really terrific. And it's, rare to rare to get access to it I, like i, I got a, a, a an upcoming release but it's not like dog mm-hmm. day it's not like commit it's not like admitting to people who are like oh i haven't seen dog day afternoon because people be like like what like spit take you haven't seen dog day or something like that so it's just one of those things where you know sometimes it's intimidating and then you're like yeah i'll get to it i'll get to it when i get to it and you sort of push it away because <laughs> you start being petulant about people doing that this is the part where I also admit I've never seen Dog Day Afternoon. You go. That's a big one, right? So like that's yeah. a, you got it. it you, you have something tremendous to look forward to. But if, you, if you'd seen like, like 
that that's the challenges when you're piecing together directors and things like that. And if you like mm-hmm. like that, it's just that whole era. Maybe I'm just slightly, well, I am definitely more obsessed um, than most people, but I'm more obsessed with that era than most people. So I tend to like mm-hmm. through it. So Zodiac's one of your favorites. Did you see not only in the David Shire score, but did you see a kinship with Fincher and Goldman and trying to make the sparkling repartee and just really all the authenticity was, was that, um, were you just seeing it all written, written in Fincher's Zodiac as you were watching uh, presidents? Oh, definitely. And I think just this, like this obsession, this like incredible detail, the minutia of it yes. and just the process of it all. Like it's fantastic. Yeah. So I, I didn't give you just any, any old minute, the mm-hmm. entire sequence from about minute 75 through to 90, like this 15 minute chunk of the movie features two, three. Cause there's sort of like a, there's like the three different setups, I guess, if you like of Hoffman talking to Jane Alexander's bookkeeper, real life character is Judy Hoback Miller sitting in her, sitting in her home, eking out all this information. She's only giving him initials. They go back to Woodward's mm-hmm. house. Bernstein's jumping off the walls. He's spitting out information. He's pulling out uh, trash out of his pockets that he's written on through their entire conversation. Mm-hmm. And then there's this great strategizing scene together where they try and figure out how the hell they're going to get confirmations of the initials, which is mm-hmm. just music in and of itself. But then we get this great scene where you see it executed. And so the minute that we're getting to talk about today is just one of those beautiful things of like, if you talk about process porn and, and uh, um, uh, Manny Faber calls it termite art, you know, like this is as, as great as it gets because it's just like you see the conversation, the beginning of the information, the strategizing, and then you watch it happen. And it's just all that beautiful thing. It's, I think a thing that sports movies do really well when you see a plan come together, when you see the training montage mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things. It's like this deeply, innately satisfying thing um, as you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of heist movies. Yes. And like for this sort of, you know, extended sequence you've been talking about the last sort of 10 minutes of the movie, like it's it really boils down to just several conversations. Yes. But those several conversations kind of feel like just such a tense, like thriller moment of the film. Like it's like they're pulling off a heist. Yes. Like of, yeah. of that nerves on edge, like formulating every detail. And yeah, and I mean, that conversation sort of planning out like the, you know, I'll say this, you say that, you know, P is Porter, we know that. And and just the strategy of it. Um, yeah, it just, it really, it, it's so brilliant the way I think it just takes like this small little thing of like figuring out an initial, but it's, it becomes such a monumental achievement just to get these little pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah. It's, it's great that you say that because so many guests have said it, but I think it's important to, to kind of get like, maybe haven't said it as like sort of succinctly is this whole movie almost boils down to conversations. And mm-hmm. it was funny, yeah, exactly. like if you're trying to tell people like, Oh, what happens? Well, a whole bunch of people have a whole bunch of conversations and a whole bunch of people yeah. really don't want to say what they're going to say, start feeling compelled to say things. And these guys are there you know, have to be Johnny on the spot for catching those moments where these people are willing to make their confessions and then get it. And then immediately mm-hmm. like sometimes it's the confirmation and they've got to run off and do something with it. Um, but for a movie that is essentially a whole bunch of people talking just like a 
20 vignettes of people talking. It is so damn riveting. And exactly as you said, I think mm-hmm. that mounting heist thing that is great because with a heist, you're like, oh, we've got to break into the building and then we've got to get past the security guards and then we've got to get mm-hmm. to the safe, you know, and, you know, no one, you know, Steven, it's great that you say that because Steven Soderbergh, who kind of like, you know, reignited, uh, you know, blockbuster heist movies with the oceans um, is, um, is also an incredibly huge fan of this movie. So he's, he, he gets, doesn't uh, surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah. He, he gets the mounting like element, mm. how important they, they work together. And in this movie, obviously the stakes are huge, but it's small conversations. It's not like um, the great Carl Reiner putting on an accent, but it's definitely something that's just as fun and just as cool. Mm-hmm. What's, you're, you're coming back to this movie. You're a big fan of Zodiac. You, you guys at the film school rejects it. Obviously have an opinion of like the Redfords and the Hoffmans seeing these guys together. Cause it's your first time with them together. Um, how did you, how do you, how was your experience with that? Because I always like wonder um, what people think of like Redford as, as much as an actor as I do mm-hmm. as a, as a director later on. And then just like a, I don't know, a force of like, you know, a force of innovation and like independent film later on in his career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Robert Redford is just one of those people where like, I, I can't say I'm too well versed in this filmography. There's so much I have yet to yeah. see, you know, I still got those blind spots I got to fill in, but I, I, I want to sort of like savor those experiences. Like he's not a, you know, act, actor, director, whatever, filmmaker who I like want to sort of like binge watch. I want to sort of savor that. Cause I think he's just so good and he's so perfect in this. And then, um, I mean, Dustin Hoffman also just phenomenal actor, you know, I, I like, and I think the two of them so good together and the sort of like the second half of this minute where it's just sort of them typing up and, and um, watching TV and listening. I love the moment where the news report like first mentions that they're talking about Watergate and they both sort of snap to attention in sync with one another. <laughs> and Hoffman just like stops typing. And I, I mean, even just the sound design of how like the clicking of the typewriter and it's so pronounced and then it just cuts out the second Watergate is mentioned. And they both sort of sit there like almost not breathing because they're so focused. <laughs> it's, 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 one, it's, it's one of those things that it's like, it's the, the deepest satisfaction that it, it, it almost feels like that, that little moment in sound design is like, finally, finally, mm-hmm. they're talking, they're talking about us, a news reporter in that, you know, that's one of the greater concerns earlier on with Bradley and his international editor and, 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 um, and how it is that they're sitting around the table, uh, um, Martin Balsam's character, they're sitting around the table and they're going, no one's printing our stuff, which is, like a massive indication that what they're doing is maybe off the wall or like doesn't, you know, has, has mm-hmm. apparent risk. And so here is where they start to see it. So let's, let's actually dive into the minutes so of folks who are listening. We've seen the strategy of the boys unpacking the bookkeeper's confession. We've seen them talk about how they're going to get their confirmations. The scene is so tonally different um, from mm-hmm. what we've seen before. It's actually such a relief because that, that, that scene that is so tight and, and so tense and just, you know, lamp lit and, and claustrophobic is now this beautiful like cone of silence and greens and, you know, Jane Alexander's wearing a beautiful dress and the, the guys at least look fresh faced. They don't look like they're dosed on 25,000 cups of coffee there. Mm-hmm. It all, it's actually a lovely different scene. And, and then the confession really starts to pour out and it's actually this great moment. So we are at the 87th minute. If you want to queue it up to watch along, cause I, 
there's got to be one of one of you out there who's listening that is doing it at the same time. Um, it is <laughs> it is one hour twenty six minutes on your dial all the way up to one hour twenty seven for the eighty seventh minute. Anna and I are going to watch it along right now together. You guys are going to listen along, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Just P. P. We know is Porter. You said twenty five grand. Is that how much Porter got? Is it more? Was it more than fifty thousand? Was Magruder the only M to receive money? Who told you about Porter? I'd like to move on now to the uh, subject of the break-in at the Watergate and the controversies that keep coming up out of that. It has recently, very recently, been reported now that some documents were torn up at the uh, committee to re-elect the president. Uh, are you investigating the, uh, the tearing up of those documents? Well, I think that came out in a story in the Washington Post. Yes. Uh, I think the investigation... All right, we can go back. We'll just cut that in. Anna? Yeah. What a picture. What a minute. What a picture. <laughs> what a picture. Um, you could do the podcast where it's just like genuinely frame by frame. What a picture. <laughs> it doesn't even have to move. No. Just it's the, the there's a really great editor also who gives great Twitter, Vashi Niedermansky on Twitter, and he likes to go, he's a as you know, as he's a very mercurial guy. Obviously he's a film editor and he's like a professional, but like when he gets obsessed with the movie too, like he's a, like he's a great student of cinema. So he'll go and like do shot counts and you know, he goes mm -hmm. to some of our favorite filmmakers, like your Paul Thomas Anderson and your Finches and he times out their shot counts, but he really loves all the president's men and he's been on the show and he's definitely coming back for a second helping. And Vashi recently has been going and like trying to get every shot of the movie. Um, you know, he's already done wow. one large, but like, you know, when you see all these shots, you literally could just go, Hey Vashi, can you just like copy paste Marvin Schwartz alongside everyone? Because it's just yeah. so, so, so good. But this scene I love, I, you know, I love, um, you know, when you can sort of tell a story in tones of like these three scenes, mm. because they're so, they're so different um, mood and tone wise. And even though like you go from like one little lounge room nook to an apartment, which are essentially like lamp lit, like it's like late at night in Woodward's apartment. But I, I love the tones of those scenes and the feelings. And then you get to this scene and unlike any other scene really, I guess in the rest of the movie, it just instantly feels with all the lightness and all the color and all the fresh air that they're going to get the information that they need. It like doesn't even feel like for a second that they're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think like, well, we should talk about this in the show more, I think, but um, just the way that like, I, we could talk about performance all day, but I think very specifically what we, the way that both of them play on um, like, confidence and like insecurity where it goes from this sort of like coffee fueled rant of you know what are we doing how are we going to do it to sort of obviously meticulously crafting out like well you say that and I say this and this is how we're going to trick her but then in the actual scene we see how the way it plays out and they come across as so much in charge of the conversation when we know of course that she can withhold information and screw up their entire plan yes and yet they both sort of uh convey that 
I mean, for the character's slightly performative confidence, but they do it so seamlessly. It's just brilliant. I mean, I think we could talk about that <laughs> for like an hour here, just like how they play that. And also what's funny is Hoffman has already said in a previous scene to Jane Alexander, we don't reveal our sources. And in that moment, he's, he's so holding back just the, like the, the impulse to like push her beyond her limit that he has to kind of like, he just mm-hmm. goes, we don't reveal our sources. And then he moves on because he knows that that doesn't give her any comfort. And so the way that they can come in now and say it all and just deliver it straight and have her look at them and they're both unwavering. That's what's so great about their faces. It's like, there's no good cop, bad cop. It's just, it's just, you know, you, you want to say it's just the cops, but it's just, it's just these two guys who are completely sure of themselves. And in that moment, mm-hmm. you can watch the comfort of her. Like they know someone else has talked like, that's what, that's how I read it. I don't know if it's, it's, it's definitely the confidence too. It's everything about that confidence. And I also mm-hmm. love, and this is what heist movies do great. It's like, I love watching an actor be a performer or be a, be a character in a movie. And then that character have to play a character. And in this moment, these guys are playing the yes. character. They're, they're playing the character of very confident journalists. And, and up mm-hmm. to this point, they haven't really been able to be that confident because no one is spilling the beans. No one's doing anything. They're yeah. just like, like on an off edge the entire time. Yeah. I don't, I mean, aren't we all playing the character of very confident journalist? <laughs> Uh, I've been playing the, the character of a very confident podcaster for some time right now. And I'm just hoping that one day he comes, he, he turns up, he turns up somewhere in there. But yeah, it's yeah. just, it's just one of those things that you just, when you're in the role, you're like, I, these people around me seem to believe that I can do this. So I've got to do it. But, and for these guys, yeah. like if we don't, they're so out on a limb. That's what's so great. And mm-hmm. we're coming up to that moment in our very minute that we sort of started we, the lead into this conversation is, the vindication and the validation of all the work that they've been doing is coming up like a news report on national television, talking to a very prominent political, you know, intelligence mm-hmm. agency figure is about to, is about to pose questions from their articles to them. And it's, and it's directly as a result from that. And I love that you said the power, despite the confidence, the power is completely in her hands. She's already mm-hmm. what she feels is too much. The initials are too much information mm-hmm. and they're like, no, no way. It's not enough. And then going back, and doing it and she's much more unguarded you know she's sitting out in front of a house she's having a beautiful iced tea the day looks gorgeous huh? and and so i think you feel a little bit more comfortable if you're sitting out on your porch and you're happy and you're just having a read of the paper or whatever she's reading and it's like oh okay now i have to get into now i have to put the shields back up to protect myself from you guys mm-hmm. yeah and of course like she could be like i'm not telling you anything and, and it could end there and that would be it right i mean wouldn't be very cinematic but like we sort of we know that that's an option that's on the table here if they don't orchestrate this well and if they don't go through with it you know in a in in the way that they should right like it's it's all hinging on this yes in a lot of ways it is yeah and and in this sequence i don't know what it is about it but in in the staging of the camera at the end of the first scene, it feels like a surveillance camera, like coming down onto mm. the game. In the way that it's anchored doing this sort of like, you know, sort of slow, slow pan through the room following the energy of Hoffman, it's still very anchored. It still feels like you're being watched in this omnipresent moment. And in this scene, everything, like the greenery, the outside, they're, they're, 
everything's out in the open. It doesn't feel like, you know, the barriers are sort of imagining. She, they come through a tiny little gate. Everything feels like it's more open, but it feels more safe for her to say it. It's just everything about the tone is reinforcing that they're going to get what they're going to get. Um, but I just also love that that like the way that the scene is shot, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like they're being watched in this scene. Like they have sort of in the others, it very much mm-hmm. feels like a, an organic, you know, traditional cinematic dialogue, eyelines, eyelines, two shot set up nicely. And, and really it's just the reinforcing of their faces and just also, um, Bernstein playing, not us. Like this is the, what's so great about the confidence that you were talking about before is Bernstein basically not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Like he just has one or two like lines in this exchange and just lets Woodward carry with it. Whatever the strat, whatever the strategic reason for that. And it just nails it because he just gets to sit there and sort of nod and be reassuring mm-hmm. that, you know, we're going to protect you and we're just confirming, you know, we just, you know, we don't, you know, we know a few of these details and, and just, that way that they do it is just great. That, that echo of those two guys. Yeah. And his two lines are pre-scripted. It's totally yeah. inorganic what he's supposed to say. Like it's all been pre-planned. Yes. And they've done yeah. such a good job to pre-script and plan those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, what am I, I'm going to say that. No. And you're going to say that. I love that. That's the other thing I also love. And I wish kind of more of it in the high genre is half saying what the plan is going to be like sort of half messily saying it. And then the cut, the hard cut is so great because it cuts in the middle of this plan and then you watch them execute it to perfection. And so mm-hmm. you don't need to see anymore. The inference is like, it's done, you know? Yeah. We don't need to do a quick cut back to show them how well they executed and orchestrated it before. We're just going to assume that they did it and that's why they're doing it so well now. Mm-hmm. What else did you like about the movie? Was there any other highlights? I mean, I've made you scrutinize this scene. I've made you scrutinize their, their revelation. Is, is there any other particular scenes or moments that really resonated with you when you were watching this? Because in Zodiac, um, as, a, as a person whose next project that I'm embarking on is Zodiac, when I think of Zodiac, like my experience mm-hmm. with it, it changes. It changes with, mm-hmm. am I with Graysmith this time? Or am, or, mm. or, 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 or am I now with Paul Avery for, for, the, for the duration? Or am, I, or am I with all of these wonderful cops like Elias Codius, like these random terrific character actors? You know, I feel like I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. it's like a moving face. Am I in the cinematography this day? Am I in the script this day? Am I just in love with Brian Cox every day? Yes, all those answers. But I feel like when you watch Presidents, um, it for me it's hard because I'm going through every minute sort of chronologically at the moment, but I just wonder what, what other scenes really resonate with you. Yeah. Um, so in the sort of like single scene sense, um, that's a tongue twister. Um, <laughs> but in the single scene sense, the moment where uh, Woodward is just like walking down the street and it's dark and he sort of like, he turns around, it sort of tracks in on him and just like, the way that that scene, you just feel the like paranoia and the fear. And I, I like kind of audibly gasped <laughs> when I saw that moment. Um, so I, I need to mention that because it's just so brilliant. But I think just overall, like, I mean, obviously I very much enjoyed this viewing, but I think it's so rich and complex and every detail is just so perfect. Like I, it's a film that I really want to watch again. Mm. Um and I, I do, like, I can already kind of tell that I think it's going to be a film that I find new things on every watch. Like, I don't think this is a film that 
and maybe you can speak to this because if anyone has solved this film, it's probably you. But <laughs> I don't think you'll ever sort of solve it, like boil it down to a single thing. Like there's always going to be something new to see, you know, like you said, different characters to follow. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm very much looking to looking forward to future viewings. Yeah. That I, I would say to you that I get excited about doing this show and especially talking to people like yourself who haven't seen it before, because you just sort of help underscore a moment because I hadn't, I hadn't as pre- in, a, in a pronounced way thought about the sound design and the way that they're hammering mm. the typewriter and the way that it stops in the scene. And, you know, so there's even those little moments where I know that everything stops once they mention Watergate, but I hadn't even just thought of like the reinforcing detail of like how clever that is, that the typewriter's happening, they're still working. And the thing that sort of stops them in their tracks is that someone's actually mentioning their goddamn story finally. And look, later on, it's the it's the story and they just have to keep working through mm-hmm. it. But this is that this is a moment where they they realize that. And so yeah, I don't I don't think there's anything to figure. We had a great guest, very fortunate to have John Borston on the show, who's actually Alan he's a filmmaker and a writer in his own right, but um and work with Alan J. Pakul, the director after this on another film, but was his assistant on set and was like with him through the whole movie and through the whole editing process. And for mm-hmm. John for John, he's like Rosetta Stone to the movie is the bookkeeper scene just because of, of filmmaking craft, of performances, of, you know, the authenticity and adherence to what, what, um, what is recorded as happening in real life. But, um, you know, for, for him, that was like the moment of the movie that sort of synthesized that like in these conversations, there's this pervasive thing that's out there that's going to get them, you know, um, and, mm-hmm. and 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 although like i can totally agree with him on any given day that like the next moment you talk to someone else and you're like no the scene of the movie is the dolberg conversation scene where redford is on the phone for six minutes or the, no no the scene of the movie is when they're rehearsing this and there's such a music to that scene we've just gone through so i don't know it's i i and like then every deep throat scene comes up and every bradley scene so it's like i don't know if there's any figuring out other than just the entire approach and mm-hmm. and the mercurial like care of like every performance and all the detail, plus then just actually these guys and, and guys and gals, particularly Jane Alexander, just coming up with these like magic, really beautiful, insightful and like authentic feeling performances. You just like I don't know every move, every part of this movie gets me. It excites me to tackle it because mm-hmm. also as you get through, I would imagine like, you know, you being an obsessive film watcher, you know what it's like. It's like once you get to new stages and you unlock a new thought about something, it changes the way you watch it the next time. And so for me, like every mm-hmm. revolving 20 minutes I'm preparing for the show and watching the show and then talking to people like yourself, then it unpacks like, oh, well, that's a really great moment. Now I want to pick up other moments where the sound design is underscoring what's also happening in a subtle way. You know, what is it doing mm-hmm. to get me there in these other ways as well? Yeah, I also, I, I mean, I think absolutely what you were saying, um, but also that the news report scene, I think just the idea of like someone else is mentioning Watergate, other people are talking about this. I think, you know, now the the notoriety of Watergate, the way that every scandal is a yes. gate, right? <laughs> like it, we sort of, we think of it as such, so second nature to how we talk about uh, conspiracy theories or scandals or whatever, but it's like, you can kind of almost forget there was an original. <laughs> yeah. um, and just, I, I mean, I think, and I will blame this on being Canadian, but I, I don't, 
I don't know the full history here. I certainly think there's so much more I, I have to learn about just like Nixon and Watergate and how all of that unfolded. And I think a lot of how I've learned about that history has been like secondhand references in other things. Yes. Um, and it was very surprising when I sort of realized like the timeline of when this film was made versus when Watergate actually happened, like how quickly this film came about. Yes. Yes. And yeah, it's, just incredible. It, it's never, it's not only how quickly, because this, you know, you're, you're Canadian, I'm Aussie. And so in America, the, the idea of a Hallmark film or a, 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 what is it like straight to TV movie or like, um, there's sort of those like trashy, super quickly mm-hmm. made topical uh, dramatizations and like um, each of our countries do our own trashy versions of them, but they're just popularized in America because of how big the population is where they take like a modern thing, they recast famous people, they do a stupid, you know, straight to video thing. And it's always trash. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. the production it's the lifetime movie version it, of, movie. you know, ripped from the headlines, law and order episode type thing. Yes. It's complete. And 90% of the time it's trash and law and order can sort of, um, have, have actually been okay to navigate some of those popular cases. You know, they, they can do it pretty well in, in the mix of their shows, but, mm-hmm. but to think that this movie, a could be made, B is made so brilliantly and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and C is made at a time when, you know, it's on, this is the, it's, it's funny. It's like, this is the Rocky Academy award year, you know, like people mm-hmm. are kind of done with Nixon mm-hmm. and Watergate and they're like, ah, oh, I, I, I want out. Like I want to, mm-hmm. I want escape. I want, I want triumph. I want the underdog back. I want, you know, those sorts of things. And, and, you know, this is, this is an, as underdog a story as it, as it gets. But I think that's what just genuinely shocks me that you can make it, you can make it with such care. You can make it, make it for long term, and that people want to come back to it. And, and the only peer that, you know, contemporary peer that, you know, has been referenced on this show several times, but probably very importantly for you and I, is like the social network, like that it's just shocking mm-hmm. yeah. how close to the events of the social network was made, how much people still watch it. Um, and now mm-hmm. I believe in sort of go, you know, in the, in the, in the world of Cambridge Analytica and all those things and, and, and Facebook people are like, maybe Fincher didn't go far enough. Like they could have mm-hmm. gone, Fincher and Sorkin could have gone really hard and they actually were pretty yeah. conservative uh, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just, I mean, like you said, the sort of like uh, the way to sort of fast track any story in the headlines into like a film. I think what's so impressive about all the president's men is how much it doesn't feel, you know, capitalizing on the sort of, headline scandal but it's actually going so deep into like the nuance and the complexity of this um it's not just that like sort of exploitation style like we're going to give you all the like juicy details like they're they're really this is not a juicy film like it's it's you know it's rich and it's rewarding but it's not that sort of like gossipy scandal headline it's so much more about the process to get there yes yeah and and Uh, yeah with and I really like the social network comparison. I hadn't actually thought of that, um, but okay. that's wonderful. Um, it was, it, <laughs> I, it's straight from Aaron Sorkin's lips. There's a great, he, he introduced all the president's men, I think a couple of years ago at a, at a special like New York, um, whether it was like a film festival or like a, a, a as part of like a, a, 
a university or something like that or a part of a college mm-hmm. screening. And it's like, so see this movie, it's me ripping off William Goldman <laughs> and all the president. This is me ripping it off at like relentlessly, you know, and Fincher and I being mm-hmm. sort of a protégés of William Goldman, this movie would never have happened. Um, but it's, it's, that's the, I, I think that that's, you know, it, it's great peer. But I think also, like you said, and, and I had distanced thing and it's also because of our age is Nixon is sort of omnipresent when you like is, is, is an omnipresent figure because he's an omnipresent figure in cinema and he's in pop culture and, and there's sort of that, you know, that pervasive American, you know, cultural imperialism that happens when you're in Canada and Australia, mm-hmm. American texts are so dominant, even more so than your own local texts. Yeah. Um, and so many of your great talent flocks to America to make great stuff. And so you have this sort of view mm-hmm. And that's the same for me. This movie is like a gateway drug. It is absolutely a gateway drug into Watergate. Like if you're that kind of obsessed, Mm -hmm. it wasn't much in the same way. And look, um, you know, I love Oliver Stone too. And I think that Oliver Stone's JFK is like, is absolutely the the purest gateway drug into that and uh, into the whole JFK conspiracy much more overtly than this. You know, Oliver Stone is taking many, dramatic liberties in, in, in how, cause he ultimately, you know, he calls himself a dramatist. He's not being there to be completely and wholly authentic in everything that he's doing. Um, but he's, he's like, I want to, I want to play around with all the facts that I know and then, and then do some really hardcore speculating. Um, but I think that that's a good way. Like, I think, I think a movie, if a movie makes you want to finish it and you feel like, you know, the great Roger Ebert says like, as a film critic, like when the movie's over, I've still got work to do, you know, I, I feel mm. like a movie makes you feel like you need to do more work. Like I've got to go and research this. I want to read this thing. Or there was a poem that was said in that movie. Where was that from? And I feel like there are so many movies that are just like are such blathering passive enjoyment that anything that gets you to be like, I need to go revisit that again. I want to read this book. I want to find out more about these people. I'm going to go and do five hours of internet research, Googling every single person who made this movie. Um, I feel like that's like you're already yeah. winning. Yeah, I like it when films assign me homework. Yes, <laughs> yes. Please give me some homework. <laughs> like that's kind of what it feels like. And I'm like, oh, yes, thank you. I have a new obsession. Wonderful. Oh, good. I just, I just opened this brand new booklet. Um, so I've got some empty pages here to fill up. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's certainly a place for the passive ones. But, the, but I, I don't know. By the sounds of things, you're a bit like me where it's like, oh, cool, great. A new thing that I have to be obsessed with now for a few months while I'm, while, while I'm doing everything else. Um, are you, Mm -hmm. how, how familiar are you with the sort of paranoia genre? Because again, you and I, Australians, Canadians, there hasn't been really like, um, there's sort of not a litany of like paranoia thrillers that are originally in Oz. Like I think that, that you can see, the international impacts of things like Watergate ripple through different other politics and there've been some political scandals, but nothing in my mind that like leaps out as like, Oh, someone's actually made the scandal movie in our country sort of thing. Like we mm-hmm. had an Australian prime minister. I don't know if anyone like this, this is another homework assignment. This will be fun for you. Anna. There's an Australian prime minister um, who went swimming um, one day in the ocean and just never came back. Like oh. that would be like the equivalent of like just wow. going for a swim and he's just gone. And I can't remember, like I can't remember there being like a, an amazing movie, a conspiracy movie about how he went for a swim 
and never came back. Like the country was just like, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, terrible accident. And I'm like, if that was America, there would be a whole subgenre of like what happened mm-hmm. to the Like just because of the, you know, the, the history and the sort of like the sort of post-Vietnam paranoia, like no one could go missing. Like Jimmy Hoffa, you know, who has had 10 movies made about him by 20 mm-hmm. people. And, and, you know, most recently Scorsese, the Irishman, it's like, People go missing. People are going to speculate about what the hell happened. There's going to be lots of cool fictions. There's going to be all that. And yeah, it's, 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 it's really, really interesting um, that it sort of didn't happen in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Well, has there been like, is the conspiracy thriller something that happens in Canada? Is there, is there um, like- so the last, I uh, get, Canadian angled political film I can think of is Run This Town, the Rob Ford movie that I did not see and probably won't. Heard it wasn't great. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm a bad Canadian. I'm definitely no expert on like Canadian film. There's not much that really springs to mind. Not that I can think of. So for folks listening, Harold Holt was our prime minister who went missing in and actually went missing in 1967. So he was ah. in, in Victoria and disappeared. This podcast just gave me homework. <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry. When this ends, I'm going to go and research that all night. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that's just one of those things where I'm like, uh, it, it, it may, may right around the same time as this, I'm just so shocked that there wasn't like 10 movies about, mm-hmm. about how an Australian prime minister can go for a swim and just disappear off the face of the earth. Like, you know, could have very plausible that he just could have died. We have, you know, a pretty hardcore ocean and sharks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It happens. But yeah, I'm still quite shocked um, at that. Now, in your experience and in, in your sort of obsessive movies and that sort of termite art kind of movies, I know you're a fan of Zodiac, but are you feeling um, when, when you're going back to sort of this movie, have you seen much of the sort of paranoia genre? Like, is that something that you're familiar with um, yourself? Like the Alan J. Pakula films, like the pa- Parallax and Clued, are they on your watch list or, or have, you, have you sort of explored much of that genre? Because I feel like there's a great kinship in, in those more obsessive movies that they kind mm-hmm. of, a lot of the paranoia movies are about obsessive people and you kind mm-hmm. of watch them have that obsessive, you know, whether it's Blow Up, um, the Antonioni film, whether it's Blow Out, the Palmer you know, the conversation, Francis Ford Coppola, like um, th- those guys are all complete and utter obsessives and there is something mm-hmm. riveting about watching them. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, absolutely big fan of those. I haven't seen Parallax. I love Clute. I mean, it's great. What's not to love? Fantastic movie. Just wonderful cast, wonderful film. Super impressed by that one. Um, I mean, you mentioned Blowout, which is probably my third favorite movie of all time. There you go. I, I love it. It's a, a perfect film. I just actually yesterday um, did a little uh, what I called a Sadder De Palma marathon <laughs> where I just watched a few uh, De Palma films I haven't seen. Um, but yeah, Blowout's one of those films that like I have probably watched like three times within the last year. I like just recently finally purchased it on Criterion. So I'm excited to get that in the mail and watch it just obsessively because it's wonderful. Um Blow Up, I think, is very good. I, d- I don't love it the way I love Blow Out, but I do think it's very good. Um, did you see and, yeah, the conversation? Did you see Blow Up first? I did. Yeah, I did. I saw Blow Up and then Blow Out, and like 
blow up. I was like, this is good. It's not my favorite Antonioni, but I was like, this is good. I respect it. There's a lot of craft here. And then blow out. I was just like, yeah, I'm, like, a, I'm more of a love. I'm a love into a red desert guy. I'm more mm. bring me some Monica Vady. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lenote might maybe my favorite. Yeah. So good. Yeah, um, good. but yeah, blow out. I just like, give me like a cape of that film and I will wrap myself in it. You know, like I love it. It's so good. Um, and yeah, I mean, conversation, wonderful. What could be better? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I, it's funny because uh, when I did the, when I did Travis's and Hair and Vice podcast, part of what we talked about was night moves. Yes. And I think that also like in here, this sort of just like conspiracy, obsession, anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, the 70s, fun decade. <laughs> It's coming back. We're bringing it all back, Anna. Yeah, exactly. Obsession, crazy people trying to topple things, feeling like you're constantly being watched, followed, social upheaval. It's all happening. It's all happening. Mm-hmm. Look, it's been a real treat to talk to you. Thank you so much for um, uh, applying your wares on this show. And uh, I really appreciate, uh, especially even just something as subtle as the sound design underscoring that. It was. It's. It's always. It's always so good to get those fresh insights. Um, where can people find you? Uh, where can people uh, find a joyous and delightful and enjoyable Twitter that currently has an avatar of Elaine? Yes. Um, yeah, you can find my Twitter, uh, Anna Swanson, but like no vowels in Swanson. So Anna, S-W-N-S-N. Um, yeah, you can find me on there. You can find me writing stuff at Film School Rejects. Uh, got a couple of things in the works that are, you know, we're, we're making moves on. Got some James Bond stuff that I'm chipping away at, a whole little James Bond series. But yeah, got cool. some stuff going on. And uh, uh, elsewhere at some point <laughs> elsewhere at some point well look yeah. hopefully people can see you outside of the house and elsewhere at some point but until then they'll have to um, deal with it I have, to, I have to follow you closely online uh, with James Bond thank you so much for being a part of the show and I really appreciate it and, uh, and oh thank you for having me that was the awesome Anna Swanson you can find her on Twitter at, at Anna S-W-N-S-N or go to Film School Rejects if you check out the description of this show you'll also see both of those links to her Um, and if you're a fan of other One Heat Minute productions she's actually on episode 28 of Increment Vice with our very own Travis Woods Uh, a ripper of an episode they're absolutely fun together and uh, they spend the opening of the episode essentially harassing each other about how he hadn't invited her on sooner because she was so excited to talk to him a barrel of laughs. Anna, thank you so much. You were wonderful on both One Heat Minute Productions. Guys, thank you so much for listening. One Blake Minute on Instagram and Twitter is where you can find me. You can also find the show at ATPM Pod on Twitter. Reach out or hit us up on email, mail at oneheatminute.com. And finally, Patreon forward slash One Heat Minute. If you want more One Heat Minute action, bonus stuff, and you want to support us for five bucks a month, you can get an extra episode a week of the Roman Rant podcast. We'll catch you on another episode of All the President's Minutes today, actually.